0: It's time for episode 56 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded October 2nd, 2014. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, a podcast that takes a licking and keeps on ticking. I am your co-host, Jason (laughs) Snell, and across the country from me is my co-host, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. How are you doing today? Well, we've reached our destination after two weeks of uh, floating in the ether between IDG and Relay FM. We have landed on Relay, and um, our two guests, in fact, today are hosts on this very network. Uh, You know him from the Accidental Tech Podcast and from Analog to my left. It is... Casey Liss
1: hello hello how are you guys doing great it's good to have you excellent
0: thank you you're a newbie so we'll see how you do yes (laughs) good luck I'm I'm really
1: stressing really stressing so we'll see how this goes it's not
0: a game show there are no winners
1: oh I'm out
2: only losers And to my left is our other guest who is, you might know, is the host of many of the other podcasts on Relay at IFM. All the podcasts. I, we, if I list all of them, we will go over 30 minutes. So I will just say welcome to Mike Hurley.
3: Thank you, guys. I'm so happy that you guys are here on Relay now. This It makes me very happy. This is the only show that I'm, I'm not a host on, so I guess it makes sense for you to have me on on the first episode. Uh, this is
2: actually your second appearance, though. You have been on Clockwise before, so welcome back. I'm glad that you decided, like, okay, I could handle that. Let's give it another shot.
3: It's, it's a shame to not be in person because it makes the ordering mm-hmm. a lot easier, uh, but I'm, I'm very, very excited anyway. I think you can handle it. You're a sharp guy. I can try. That's way to suck up to the guy who runs the network, (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Starting it off on the right foot. Here's how this works. We talk about four technology topics. We keep it short. Each of us gets a chance to chime in. The the motion is clockwise, like the name, so we'll move around the table virtually, talk about four topics, and we'll keep it under half an hour because that's how we roll. Um, Since I introduced the show, I'll go first. Uh, First topic is Apple Pay. I've seen a lot of different stories out there on the web the last couple of weeks saying oh, well, people get excited when Apple announces anything, but this isn't going to be a thing. I've seen people in Europe, especially, and we just happen to have somebody from Europe here today saying, "Ah, you know, nobody cares. It's not going to be that big a deal. Um, So that's my question for you is, what do you think? Is this going to be a thing or did we get excited about it in the Apple event? And in hindsight, it's just not going to be very exciting. Casey, what do you think?
1: I think it's going to be big. And the reason I think it's going to be big is because a lot of people I've spoken to have been getting emails from their banks saying, oh, Apple Pay's coming. We're on top of it. We got it. We're good. Don't worry. Don't go anywhere. We're good. And- and it seems like I got an email from Bank of America Yeah, me about too. These. I got
0: that same email. I was like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because Bank of America, I mean, I I actually am one of the three humans that don't hate Bank of America, and they <laughs> are relatively progressive with their website, or at least they were at the time I signed up with Bank of America years ago. And so it's not entirely surprising that they would be kind of on the ball about this stuff. But for them to just Just send this marketing marketing email, which I so very rarely get from them, saying, Oh, we've got Apple Pay under control. Don't worry. That was really surprising to me. And so I do think it's going to be a thing. And I think it'll be relatively big. The thing, the the part of it that I'm most concerned with is ridiculous, which is how socially awkward is that going to be the first time you go to Apple Pay? And you have to ask, like, a clerk at 7 Eleven or something like that, <laughs> Hey, is this Apple Pay thing a thing? Can I do that? And this clerk is going to look at you like, I don't know. What? Why don't you try it, sir? <laughs> yeah. I, have to, I have to ask the manager. <laughs> exactly. And so I think if if I'm smart, I will have someone re- film me trying to use Apple Pay for the first time because it will surely be the most ridiculously awkward moment of my life. Viral YouTube video.
2: sensation. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, Jason, I got to say, PC guys are not just going to walk in and deal with this whole payment problem. Clearly, <laughs> too hard. No, I, I think Apple, I'm really excited for Apple Pay. Of all the things that I think I saw them announce uh, in the last month, uh, this was the most intriguing because it's the one that actually seems to potentially make a difference in my everyday life. Um, and like you guys were saying that, you know, I think there are a lot of things that are going to catch on in terms of people not dealing with, say, security risks and things like that. Um, Jason, I know you wrote a piece on on Six Colors the other day about this and talking about, you know, the, the uh, what makes this different from something like Uber, where that's sort of the streamlined workflow thing. And, and I think the idea that You know, something like that might eventually become the way that payment works. But right now we still all have to deal with like going to grocery stores and buying things in in physical locations or even online. Um, And, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement there. It's a hard problem because it means, you know, dealing with infrastructure and it means dealing with companies that don't often like change. Things like banks, things like retail stores. But it seems like the improvements here are just so massive, both in terms of simplicity and in terms of security, especially, which has been such a huge problem over the last several years, that they can't afford not to move in some direction, um, preferably towards the future, hopefully not towards the past. Pretty soon, we'll (laughs) all be writing checks when we go to the grocery store. So I'm really bullish on Apple Pay. I I can't wait. It's October already. Where
3: is it? Why is my phone not letting me pay for things? So. I mean, I don't understand like the, the negativity from Europeans about this because I, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm super excited, and I think that it's going to be huge because we're already ready for it. Like, I use contactless payments all the time. I use them on my debit cards and my credit cards. And also, I mean, a bunch of Android phones here support contactless payment, and you can use Android phones to pay in stores. Like, It's a thing that already exists. I think people say that like because there tends to be a, a more of a culture in the UK and in Europe of people having like one or two cards. There, people don't have right. like 10 cards that they use, debit and credit or whatever. Um, but personally, I would still prefer to use my phone because it's cooler and it's safer. And I think that potentially we could see stuff like loyalty cards and things like that coming to Apple Pay, which
0: would be great. They they will, in fact. They told me that that will work. So you can put in your loyalty card and it'll transmit your loyalty card information and your credit card information simultaneously when you're at that store. Yeah.
3: Right. See, that's the winner then, because yeah, okay, I have one debit card, but I have 25 million loyalty cards. (laughs) Uh, You know, but there is one thing, though, which I've been thinking about. I'm not going to start leaving my wallet at home because if my battery dies, I can't pay for anything. (laughs) Yep. Yeah,
0: i I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a thing too. I think it's really interesting to hear Mike uh, bring up the point of uh, of the multiple cards in America. Uh, yeah, I, I don't view Apple Pay as a uh, thank goodness I have all my five cards in one place kind of. That's not the value in it. The value is that you know you've got you've got your stuff stored away and you you do a tap and you've paid. and And if you didn't bring your wallet, then that's great. Or if you only have one one card with you or some cash with you, and then your phone, you can opt to pay. And when you do pay, it's secure because it's generating a one-time code. So I think it'll be good. I don't think it's going to be like transform the world and we're all going to be wearing jumpsuits uh, like next year. It's going to take five years for the jumpsuits to arrive. But you you can buy your jumpsuits with Apple Pay, so that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think it's going to be, I do think it's going to be a thing, and in the United States especially, because we are moving to chip and pin, and uh, that means all the hardware that's being used for credit card transactions is going to turn over. And the new hardware will probably largely have NFC built in, at which point Apple Pay, so, and, and Google Wallet too. So I think Apple picked the right time. So we'll see. We'll see.
1: Casey, do you have a topic for us? I do. So my topic is a question, which is what piece of technology, preferably something that was not well-received in the market, but it doesn't have to be the case, do you miss the most? And I'm going to kick it off by answering myself, which is Laserdiscs. When I was a kid, <laughs> I when I was going to say vinyl. No, I know. That was the obvious <laughs> answer, but no, that well first that was fairly popular at the time way back when and second that's too obvious. So, when I was a kid, um my dad had a laserdisc player or we had a laserdisc player growing up and I remember vividly taking Top Gun And putting this LP sized CD into a Laserdisc player, and the remote actually had a little jog wheel on it that looked vaguely like the click wheel. And I remember pointing the remote at the laser disc player and using this little wheel to go forward to frame, backward a frame, forward to frame, backward to frame. And when you're coming from VHS tapes, that was mind melting. I mean, it was the most incredible thing in the world. And that when we had the world's crappiest surround sound system, but it was surround sound and it was at our house. And I will, I vividly remember, you know, dad putting on that same Top Gun uh, laser disc and, and we would hear the, the jet planes go from the front of the room to the back of the room. And it was the most tremendous incredible thing in the world and even though uh uh, blue blu-ray discs and dvds are better in every measurable way and probably a bunch of immeasurable ones i still kind of miss laser discs they were fun
2: i've been racking my brains the closest thing i could think of was um the zip disc uh the hundred megabyte iomega disc that was like, oh, my God, it holds 100 floppy disks at the same time. And I actually had, I have a blue and white, in fact, it's in my office here. I have a blue and white Power Mac G3 with an internal zip drive. Mm-hmm. So exciting because, like, there were all these things and you couldn't fit anything on a floppy disk. And you could, I think, burn CDs, like, burning CDs came in around the same time. But it was cumbersome. You had to do this whole thing where you, like, created, like, a disk image and burned it to a CD. And I remember running around our high school and being like, oh, my God, like, we can get stuff we can, like, exchange all this stuff we probably shouldn't be exchanging like you know (laughs) crappy music files really crappy videos on these discs and i was just talking to a friend of mine the other day and he's you know he's like oh i have this xbox that has very little storage on it i was like well you could plug in like a 16 gigabyte flash drive and i stopped and thought like man if i could go back in time to like high school me who's dealing with zip disks and be like i have a 16 gigabyte thing that fits on my (laughs) keychain, i would have just like been you know shut up and just punch myself in the face probably but that's pretty much what i would do anytime i see me from the future
3: the palm pre (laughs) Oh yes! What a fantastic little device that was. I, I loved the brie. I bought one uh, as I buy everything. Uh, it was just so pretty, uh, and I loved the, the UI and WebOS was just so good looking, and it was so futuristic looking. And like you can see, if you go back and look at the Web WebOS, and you can kind of see how we're kind of catching up to it still. In some instances, which is fantastic, like the unified inbox, unified notifications that it had, I loved those. The gesture bar that it had, so you could like make the the operating system do things by swiping your your finger or your thumb on the on a little bar on the bottom of the phone. It had induction charging, which right. we, they had the, like what they they called it, like Touchstone or something, and you put it on this little this this little stand, and your phone would charge. And then of course you had a keyboard choice for software and hardware. Mm-hmm. And and the hopper keyboard is pretty good.
0: Back in the old days before there were DVRs, there was this thing called Video Guide that I loved. Um, and I I, f- I found it at MacWorld Expo actually in Boston. That's how long ago this was. The first time it was in Boston, not the last <laughs> time it was in Boston. Wow. And it was great because it was a little box that uh, got data over the cell network, but you you paid, paid them a monthly fee, and it had an infrared blaster on it, and uh, and uh, attached to your to your VCR and just passed through. But it would uh, basically what it was is uh, an electronic program guide and uh though in those days you didn't have those things so it had no ability to record anything but you you could see the programs that were on you could set recordings or even a season pass and then when it came time for your show to be on it would use the IR blaster turn on your VCR change it to the right channel and press record and when the show was over it would press stop and so it gave you this functionality that we now take for granted where you can just set, I'm going to set my shows to record, back in an era when that was not a thing that you could do. Dan, it's your turn. What do you have to It is my turn. There's been a lot of talk
2: this week on Twitter and in some other places about whether or not Apple has a QA problem, which is to say, are there too many bugs creeping in? This this sort of cropped up largely in the aftermath of the iOS 8.0.1 update, which disabled cellular networking and Touch ID for users of the iPhone 6. (laughs) No big deal. Uh... But there's a lot of talk about whether or not there are smaller issues cropping up. I I gave the example on Twitter the other day of the one that I've been running into where in the share sheet that you can bring up in Safari and now you have all your third party extensions in there and actions. I love using 1Password and you can rearrange the order that they come in, except that it doesn't stay in the right position. Every time I move 1Password to the beginning, eventually it gets moved back to the ending. So... I'm kind of annoyed about that, but I feel like maybe little things like that are are endemic of some sort of things slipping through the cracks. I was curious to know whether you guys thought this was a thing, or whether it's just being blown out of proportion.
3: So there definitely does seem to be a problem, and, and I feel like seven and eight have been rough, especially. Uh, maybe I'm just romanticizing six and beforehand, but I don't remember having as many issues, especially seven, because... I mean, there were still kind of bugs in it, but when it got updated to iOS 8, there were still some weird things happening. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk of maybe Apple are moving too fast now. Maybe they need to have that Snow Leopard release for iOS where they just stabilize everything. But I mean, I've been thinking about this and I think it's up to Apple really and how they want to balance the press with it because there's just two negative stories there. They're either going to have, you know, Apple is broken and bricks everyone's phones or they're going to, if they decide to do a Snow Leopard release, they're going to have an Apple stops innovating type of news cycle because Google won't stop. They'll just continue to release new features. Whether they'll be better or not, you know, nobody knows. But if Apple take... a a year to to stabilize iOS 8 for iOS 8.5 or iOS 9 or something like that, people will accuse them of uh, not not putting the effort in.
0: I definitely think there's a problem. Um, Apple seems to have gotten their hardware release stuff down to a science, and it seems like the software is dr- struggling to catch up with this annual release cycle. And I don't know the right answer because Apple seems to really have hit upon this idea that you have a developer conference in the early summer, and then you peg your operating system releases to the fall. And so you do one huge release every year, you'll let the developers know a few months in advance so they can get ready for it, and then you drop it. And There are rumors out there about how Apple is prepping OS uh, iOS 8.1, 8.2, and 8.3, and the question is, uh, is that is that a thing that's pegged to hardware or is that them changing pace? Um, I kind of hope that it's them changing pace because I wonder if maybe Apple needs to start breaking these OS releases up into smaller chunks that are more quantifiable so you don't end up dropping this huge load of operating system in the fall and then picking up the pieces for the next six months. Uh, it definitely seems, I, I don't know if it's QA, I my gut feeling is that this is pace, that this is um, Apple... Uh, pushing the hardware releases so hard and so successfully, and that the software is struggling to keep up. And the software, if it's not ready, essentially look, I mean, they're going to release the iPhone 6 when they release it, and uh, the software just has to be ready. And if it's not ready, it still has to be ready. And that's what we're seeing here. So, you know, I I think they have to change their internal processes and maybe even think about having a different release schedule where they do a quarterly release with some of the features and save the big uh, messaging for developers for WWDC, or maybe even then just making videos about new features that are coming and post them on the developer connection and not rely on dropping everything on developers at WWDC. I don't know, but I think there's something
1: going on for sure. So as someone who writes code for a living, I can tell you that software is never on time. And the only way to make software on time is to put a whole lot of procedures and and rules and regulations around the creation of software. I used to work for a military contractor, and they they were very predictable about when software would be done. But the problem was, everything needed to be planned out in advance, all the things needed to be discussed, documented, agreed upon, etc. Which is pretty much the antithesis of how I understand Apple to operate. And so... Knowing that software is never done on time unless you give up everything that makes Apple Apple, uh, I don't see how this is a tenable position for them to be in where you have to give up the, you, you have to have the software done when this hardware is ready. And like you guys had said, you know, Apple's established a cadence, a public cadence. Of course, they have an internal cadence, but they have a public cadence now. And I think it was Mike that said, you know, if they break that cadence, suddenly they're going to be doomed. Even if they do it for good <laughs> reasons, even if they do it for the right reasons, that's that's great for users. And even if the users are excited about it, if they break the, you know, .o release of iOS every fall and... New release of OS X uh, shortly thereafter, the media will have a field day with it, and maybe the answer is Apple just needs to not care. But I don't know. I, I care a lot about what people say about me, and I'm just one dude. I can't imagine what Apple thinks. So, <laughs> well, know. you know, you know
2: there's a good point here. I mean, OS X used to be a lot slower. They they slowed down for a while there um, in the like the Leopard era. Um, and to the point where, when what was it, Mountain Line? When Mountain Lion came out, everyone was like, "Whoa, this yeah. is super fast." Um, and to a certain extent, you're right about the the cadence and the fact that there's a rhythm. Um, it seems weird, like there's a, there, you're going to have to ship it at some point, right? Perfect is the enemy of good. You can't fix every single bug. Bugs are going to happen. You got to have a ship date. Uh, otherwise, you know, you end up with those projects that just sort of like never really come out or stay in like 0.8 forever. Um, but it's it's kind of telling to me, you know, if you look at the version history of iOS, no major oper- no major version of iOS, at least going back to 3, um, ever passes like the 0.2 stage, like I think 4.2.1 was sort of the highest number, quote unquote. Um, And, you know, I kind of wonder what happened to the 0.5 upgrades because we used to see, you know, 8.5, 9.5 and things like that. And it does feel like in some ways there needs to be maybe like a mid-year, like if, you know, if iOS 8 comes out in September... Then maybe six months later, maybe an iOS 8.5 release that does stabilize one of these things. I understand that, you know, certainly takes a lot of engineering to do. Um, but at the same time, it does feel like there is needs to be some sort of counterpoint to that rhythm, a tick tock. That, that stabilizes some of these things because it always seems like they pull everything into that first release. They issue a couple bugs fixes and then we're waiting for like nine months for, for there to be another major release and the cycle starts anew. But things never really get a chance to settle down. Uh, and I wonder if that's causing problems. So I, I would like it would be cool to see them change, you know, from like 8.1 to 8.2 or 8.3. Um, I'm not super optimistic that it's going to happen, but I do think also that the breakneck pace has to slow down at some point as it did with OS 10.
3: Okay, so my turn. Uh, this may be a topic that only I care about. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am a 6 Plus owner, um, and a very happy 6 Plus owner, and I've been seeing some app updates coming through that are taking advantage of the screen size, but... it. Currently, I mean, it might be too. uh, It's definitely too early for this, but I haven't seen a lot of apps that are taking full advantage of the landscape mode and the extra sort of things that you can do with the six plus. Now, I've been thinking about this and wondering. Will developers truly embrace this and and really kind of find some interesting things to do and and make these scaled down iPad apps, um, or will they just ignore it? You know, we've we've seen uh, iPad development slow down, I think, in in recent months, and there's not there are some applications that we're even not seeing or updates that we're not seeing since iOS seven. Do we think that maybe the six plus will get the attention that I hope it deserves, or will it be left in the dust?
0: I think you are in for a treat, Mike, because I think yeah. I think this is going to happen. I think developers, you know, we didn't we didn't know there were rumors, but I think nobody was going to do anything to really embrace a device like this until it was announced, and then you saw developers and other people like making those three D printouts of of iPhone six pluses. I think now that they're in people's hands, um, and I remember on uh, on uh, was it on. Who was it? Somebody, somebody actually said, uh, it might have been Marco, uh, any developer worth their salt is going to have a 6 Plus. Yes, it was Marco on ATP. Hi, Casey. Hello. Now developers are going to get these 6 Pluses. They're curious about them. They're worried about how their software looks on them. And I think that's going to lead to good Things because I think those developers, um, you know, some developers aren't going to bother, but I think that good developers of good software are going to look at the six plus as an opportunity, certainly to make it at least look good, and maybe to make it be uh, really great on that device. Because the six plus is going to have a a lot of uh, followers and a lot of success, and and so I'm pretty bullish. I I think the six plus software situation is going to get better, but it's going to take you know those developers just got those phones and they're. They're thinking about it, and they're thinking of how to address it, and then they're going to have to do the work, and then it's going to have to get in a very long App Store submission queue. But I do think it's (laughs) going to happen. I'm pretty bullish on it.
1: Yeah, you know, you took the words right out of my mouth because I was thinking about it, and WWDC, where iOS 8 was initially announced and the first beta was available and the SDK was updated, that happened in early June of this year. I forget exactly what day. And the iOS 8 Golden Master final release that went out to the masses didn't happen until late September, just uh, two or three weeks ago now. So I have to figure there's about four months there where developers can start poking about with the new APIs and fiddling with them and then getting you know a bunch of bad ideas out of their system so they can finally find the good ideas and that took four months and th- new things are still popping up today like as we recorded just just a few hours ago uh underscore David Smith released a new keyboard an emoji keyboard for iOS 8 and and that just happened this on October 2nd the thing of it is is that you know they've had four months to, to get ready with iOS 8 and it's things are still trickling in where we've had two or three weeks with the barge the the uh, 6 plus <laughs> Is that what it's called? I, I, just, I can't even remember because it's so darn big. If you um, keep doing
3: this, I, I will kill you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but anyway, but the point is, they haven't had enough time with it yet, and I think that everyone's fumbling around. And plus, something that uh, Marco talked about on the ATP that's not yet released is the, Apple doesn't make it terribly easy in terms of the API in order to determine are you on a 6+, plus, are you on a 6, or are you on a 4-inch phone, or are you even on a 3.5-inch phone? And so... It, it's a little hard in that sense for developers to really find the right way to handle it from a code perspective, even if you leave aside that let's assume they had the right idea from a design perspective.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, as someone, I've only used the 6 Plus very briefly. Uh, and I do think that the developers will find interesting things to do with it. I think I'm very curious to see in general if the 6 Plus ends up being received as a really popular device. It's It's still hard to tell, obviously. And I'm not sure that Apple will break that out or not in its financials. Um, but I think people will be intrigued in the same way that they were intrigued with every different form factor that's come along. Um, and the 6 Plus is an interesting, uh, tricky scenario because it is that middle ground between the iPhone, even an iPhone as large as the 6, and something as big as the iPad mini. And we haven't really had a lot of opportunity to play with that space yet. Um, And so I agree with all you guys. I think the developers are going to be looking at this and trying to figure out, well, what can I do here that's going to be distinct from what I would do on the iPhone or distinct from what I would do on the iPad mini or how can I bring iPad features here without you know, while dealing with the problem that an iPad screen would look cramped if you just moved it whole hog, right? So there's a lot of questions that have to be answered here. You know, people have to figure out how these devices are being used. Uh, And I think a lot of developers will be, you know, spending time with these devices and seeing how they use them and what's actually feasible when it comes to designing for a screen of this particular size. but, yeah, I, I, I think there's a good chance that, that we'll see some really interesting things done with the iPhone 6 Plus. Um, but I do think on the flip side, there is also the chance that it could be ending up relegated as sort of a niche device. And, and maybe there won't be as many uh, things sort of designed specifically for it. But, you know, that may or may not have an impact on the 6 Plus in and of itself.
3: Except for your final comments there. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very confident. Cold water, my cold water I know, brought you up I and then we took you back down. <laughs> if it is a niche device, it's a niche of awesomeness that, that I proudly am in. Uh, now I, I'm pleased that you guys feel this way. Like it is, it's a concern, right? Because I have taken a plunge of this device. I've made quite an investment, not just financially, but just in many different ways because it's such a crazy thing to own. Uh, But I'm very, very happy with it. And and I really do hope that I'll see the sort of updates that I have my my fingers crossed for, you know, for some apps that that I use every day to to start to really, really think about how they present themselves differently on these sort of devices. So I think it's an exciting time. And I think we may also see some new interesting iPad apps come off the back of this, right. right, as developers start to rethink how they're divide how their apps show on all screen sizes of all kinds um we've reached the end and before we go
0: we like to do a bonus question that has nothing to do with technology it's october that means halloween is going to come at the end of this month and that leads me to ask this stupid question which is what's your favorite candy casey
1: you know, I have a couple of quick honorable mentions. Honorable mention number one: Nestle Crunch, always delicious, mm. especially when slightly chilled. Honorable mention number two: uh, Cadbury's chocolate bar. Hi, Mike. Hello. Um, not <laughs> not the not the rebranded Hershey's chocolate that you find in the states, but honest to goodness, Cadbury's chocolate bars are phenomenal. Mm. However, my my winner, if I have to pick only one, is a Kit Kat. Love me a Kit Kat. All right.
0: All right, Dan, candy? Uh, well, I'm, I'm pretty
2: partial to every year in my uh, Christmas stocking, um, I get a large box of Junior Mints and I really do love Junior Mints and, and they're pretty great, but I, I'm a big dark chocolate fan. So uh, every once in a while I sneak a, a Milky Way, I think they're called Milky Way Dark, Milky Way Midnight, I don't know, but those are delicious.
0: Mike, uh, more candy is eaten per capita in the United Kingdom than any other country. <laughs> what is your favorite candy? <laughs>
3: I did not know that. Yeah, it's true. Interesting. We call them sweets, right? Not candy. And uh, But my favorite sweets are American, typically. Because right. I think you have more interesting candy than we do. Because our, ours is mainly made up of chocolate. Uh, and I like chocolate, but I, I prefer sweeter things. I prefer sugary things. Um, our chocolate is... Better like Hershey's tastes like chalk to me. Um, Cadbury's is is fantastic, but I my I think my favorite candy is Pretzel M Ms. Wow, big fan of Pretzel M Ms. I think because we can't get them here, so I either buy them when I'm in the states or from. We have lots of uh, American import sweet shops here. Hmm.
0: I have no idea. Um, my favorite mass produced candy bar is probably Butterfinger because uh, peanut butter is my favorite food and Butterfinger is a great chocolate peanut butter crazy thing. And but although like Dan, I really like dark chocolate. And so the candy we usually have in the house, if anything is uh bars, uh, usually Trader Joe's like 90%, 85% dark chocolate. And that's, uh, that's the, that's the good stuff. Anyway, that was great. Sweets. Now we know sweets <laughs> are Sweet. the proper name for that. That is some education coming from Mike. Casey Liss, it is a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for being here. People can listen to you with Mike on Analog, on Relay FM, and of course, the Accidental Tech Podcast. It's awesome to have you here.
2: Yep. Thank you so very much. I'm glad I survived. And of course, Mike Hurley, a delight to have you
0: back with us.
3: Always a pleasure, gentlemen, anytime.
0: Dan, it's been a pleasure again, as always. As always, Jason. And uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening to Clockwise. Watch what you say. And keep watching the clocks. Bye, everybody.